Now we're going to uh, be thinking today of that passage also in the Old Testament. This is a time, remember we said, of, uh, of Advent. And during the time of Advent, there are various themes that we look at. This is Isaiah chapter 9 that we're actually at at the moment. Isaiah chapter 9. And we said last week that sometimes uh, during the time of Advent, we think about the second coming of Christ. That Christ came the first time according to the prophetic word of God. And because that was so sure that he came, we believe that Christ is coming again. We stand on that wonderful promise of Scripture, that the, the prophecy of Scripture stands just as true of his second coming as it was of his first coming. And we hold on to that as a wonderful hope and truth for our world and for ourselves today when we know the Lord Jesus as our own and personal Saviour. But here we're going to be looking at the prophecy of the Old Testament regarding the coming Messiah. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 2 to verse 7. Verses 2 to 7, Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 2 says, The people walked in darkness, have seen a great light, and those living in the shadow of the death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so we've got this great prophecy in the Old Testament scriptures regarding the coming of the Messiah and the names given to him. And we've got a title up here. And the title is simply Names That Answer a Need. As you well know, in the Bible, names were always important. That names had a special meaning. And sometimes parents would give their children a special name because of some characteristic of their child. But we're going to be thinking about names that answer a need. So this is a time of the year when we are bombarded with all kinds of uh, invitations to give to charity. Tremendous needs throughout our world. And we're told that we, we need to send some money to all these different charities throughout the world. And sometimes we need to take recognition of that. That we belong to the Christian family. And there's so many other things happening in the world where people do not have all the things that we, we have. I don't know how the family would take the news if we were to say to them, I feel like doing this. I feel like saying to the family, look, I have everything I need. 
anything that you wanted to get me, just think of the value. <laughs> and it cost much, I don't know. And send it to Tear Fund or even MAF or to anywhere where there's going to be a tremendous need in the world. I don't want you to get me any gifts. And that's the stage I really feel that I'm getting to. I don't really need anything. Anything you want to give, why don't you send it as a donation? Let me have the card that tells that you've actually sent something to Tear Fund or wherever it might be. That's the stage that I'm really getting to. And also, of course, it would be good if you uh, had that kind of uh, thing. But I don't think the family, all the family would appreciate that very much. We had uh, two family weddings over this uh, past year. Uh, one was not a Christian wedding, it was a register office, not register office, but a registrar came and did the wedding in a hotel. That was our very first in a whole lifetime to be at a, a wedding that wasn't a Christian wedding. The second one was a Christian wedding. And what was very interesting in the invitation, it said that um, you can get us a present if you like, John Lewis, and go onto the website for John Lewis and you'll see what's been taken and what's left and what have you. Or it said... Why don't you give a donation to this particular mission society? And I think that any young couple that start off in that way, I think they're starting right, don't you? You can give us a present if you want to. You'll see the list on John Lewis. But if you don't want to, why don't you give a donation to this mission society? I think that is really tremendous. And it's good to have that coming through. But my guess is that a blanket commitment to give the gift the family we're going to get to the mission field might not meet with uh, approval from everybody. It could certainly be a problem area if you did that kind of thing. And yet that's the stage I'm really getting to. By giving of gifts, that seems to be a problem. But you know this, whenever, have you ever seen the, the DVD, the film of Samaritan's Purse? Have you ever seen the, the film of the kids getting their shoebox? And they open up the shoebox and they get things that no child in this country would thank you for. And you can see the glow on their faces. You would have thought you had given them gold. When they open that shoebox and the few things that are in that shoe, they are absolutely delighted. And sometimes we've got to come to grips with that, about the problem of what kind of gift to be given. Think of the baby who gets a present. I mean, parents are right into presents with their baby. They get a present. I've watched it happen. And they open up the present. What do they play with? The wrapping. The box. That's right. The wrapping is very, very attractive. And you just crunch it with your hands, with your fingers. And they find that even more exciting than the gift that was given to them. The attractive wrapping. So, if we have no problems about giving gifts, what about where are you going to spend Christmas? Is it going to be with the in-laws or the outlaws? You know, who's it going to be with? And sometimes there are families that find that a problem. Where they're going to spend Christmas and how long are you going to be there for? Some people say we're not going to be too long in that house. <laughs> and there's all these sort of problems that occur along the way. And if you have no problems about giving gifts and problems about where you're going to spend Christmas, sometimes we have to think about that. Because I remember when my wife and I just got married, with the thought, let's have somebody who's lonely for Christmas. And I don't know, Eileen, how we got to know this lady, but we were living in Donald Road in the west end of Glasgow, and we got to know this older lady who was on her own, and we said, let's have her for Christmas. 
didn't know her all that well and didn't come to church to a, a church as far as we know but, and she came and spent Christmas day with us and she was delighted we didn't think all that much about it we just thought it would be good to have somebody who's lonely for Christmas and sometime later, I can't remember how long it was we learned that she had died and she had left £50 a wee bit more, a bit more valuable then than it was now £50 to my daughter to our Hazel now, we didn't actually do it for the money or thinking is she going to die soon and leave us something in her will it was done because of the, our heart of love for the Lord Jesus and that she would have some place to go on Christmas day and that was our one we weren't even expecting that to happen but God, in a very wonderful way, blessed our daughter at that particular time. And that was just a, a wonderful thing. There are problems about gifts. There are problems about where we're going to live. And some people have theological problems. What about this virgin birth business? What about angels singing and wise men following a star? Is all that kind of thing true? Well, I just said to the children there, Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And we can investigate these things, I can assure you that these things are absolutely true. All these are problems, and it's like, are problems seeking a solution. All these kind of things, and there are many more regarding problems in the family, the home, and all kinds of situations. There are problems seeking a solution. And that wonderful verse of Isaiah 9 and verse 6, next slide, tells us he's a wonderful counsellor. For those who have problems seeking a solution, you'll find Jesus to be a wonderful counsellor. You may remember that in the Old Testament days, that kings had a counsellor. Or sometimes they had counsellors, plural. They had their wise men in the palace and they would consult these uh, counsellors, consult these people about what they're going to do in war and all kinds of things like that. I want to tell you this, that Jesus the king did not need another advisor. He was the counsellor. A wonderful counsellor at that. What we find in the, the story of Isaiah, what lies behind the story of Isaiah, is the fact that during that time there was a king called Ahaz. Ahaz? Ahaz, that's right. <laughs> Ahaz. And there were two kingdoms at that time. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And sometimes they fought the bit out with each other. And what they used to do was, they went into alliance with other nations who were not of God. It might have been Damascus, it could have been Egypt, it could have been the Assyrians. And so you find these, these kings of God's people, Israel, going into an unholy alliance. Into leagued with other nations that God did not bless. They were against God. And the same is true of Ahaz at the time of Isaiah. You find that Ahaz decides, I'm going to link up with the enemy. The enemy were the Assyrians at that time. I'm going to link up with the enemy to fight my brothers up north in the north of Israel. And Isaiah says to Ahaz, I don't think that's a good idea. That's not very wise. You need some wise counsel. But Ahaz would not listen. 
And there's a wonderful verse at the end of the, if you look at Isaiah chapter 7, quite a remarkable verse in chapter 7 and verse 9. It says this, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, the head of Samaria is only Ramiah's son. And Isaiah says to the king, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. That's an amazing verse that. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you'll not stand at all. And this is what Isaiah said, I want you to listen to this wise counsel, but Ahaz would not listen. And what do we find? The same is true about the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that people will not listen to him. And what happens is, they go into an unholy alliance. It's God and mammon, or God and money. Or it's God and materialism. Or it's a wee bit of God and drink and drugs. Or a wee bit of God and immorality at this time of the year. All these kind of things are unholy alliances that don't belong together. They just don't belong together. People will attend church, but they'll not want to change and to do away with the unholy lifestyle. So not only are there problems needing a solution, but the next slide shows us there are people needing someone to follow. There are people needing somebody to follow. I wonder how many have you been following the reports about Tiger Woods? And many people were following that guy. And there were these great giants in the advertising business saying, this guy, Tiger Woods, is squeaky clean. He's the kind of role model that we want to sell these products. <coughs> and now they're saying to him, we, we think you should have a rest. <laughs> we don't want you to show our products anymore. And people want a role model. Many young folks want a role model these days. And, and it really reminds me of that story of Saul. Remember Saul, the first king of Israel? I just love this story. The guy's a great big hunk of a man. And his father has lost his asses. And so Saul goes out with one or two servants to try and find the asses. He can't find them. And somebody says to him, why don't you go and have a wee word with uh, the prophet Samuel? He, he knows a lot of stuff and he'll tell you where the asses are. And so Saul goes and finds Samuel. Samuel tells him where the asses are. And Samuel said, by the way, before you go home, I'd like you to meet the elders of Israel. And the Bible says that, that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. Can you imagine that? Great big tall guy, big, big beefy guy. And what happens was, as he's about to meet with the elders, he takes cold feet. And the Bible says he hides in the baggage. Can you imagine a guy head and shoulders above everybody else trying to hide in the baggage? Can imagine some wee girl saying, oh, there you are, okay, you're there, I can see you there. Anyway, he gets found, and they anoint him the first king of Israel. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 10, that in verses 26-27, that Saul went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men, whose hearts the Lord had touched. But some troublemakers said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, no Christmas for him. <laughs> but Saul kept silent. Everybody voted for him. But only a small group of valiant men whose hearts the Lord had touched. 
actually went and followed him and became his bodyguard, became part of his army. Everybody voted for him, but only a few decided to follow him. And you know this, if we are people who are needing someone to follow, and this next slide tells us he is a mighty God. And that word mighty God in the scriptures speaks of someone who is able to do battle with the enemy. It speaks of a, a victorious and victorious and powerful God-like figure in the person of Jesus Christ. He will do battle. A God-like or God-hero, a divine warrior victorious in battle against all his enemies. And this mighty God answers the need for somebody to follow. You're going to be let down by a lot of the heroes that we have in the pop world and the things that we see in the other magazines that I see every day. I'm going to go to the cooperative. There's this magazine straight in front of me of all the latest gossip about the celebrities. Folks are going to let you down. But he's the mighty God. He is the one to follow. That followed Saul, men of valour, whose hearts the Lord had touched. The others said, we're not going to have this guy to reign over us. You ever heard that before? Some people said about Jesus, we're not going to have him to reign over our lives. And yet Jesus is mighty God. He's the one to follow. So there's another, but there's another need. Not only are problems that need a solution for which he's the wonderful counsellor. Not only people needing someone to follow for which or whom he is a mighty God. But there's an area of needs to stay the same, the next slide, in the midst of change. We need something that's not going to shift or change. For many people this Christmas time, there's a change of circumstances. Some do not longer, no longer have employment. Some are unemployed. There are changes in circumstances in many people's homes. And, and some people are saying, if only things would just stay the same a little longer. Just when you get to know the answers, somebody raises more questions. And yet in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, the next slide says that he is the everlasting father. Now I find that title to Jesus being a, a very difficult title to interpret. How can Jesus be the everlasting Father? There's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit. God is not the Spirit, the Son is not the Father. How can Jesus be the everlasting Father? Well some people give the explanation, and I think it's a good one, is that in the Jewish world in the Old Testament they saw the word Father, if they were reading this prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, they could well think of Father as originator, as the author of. When Jesus says that Satan is the father of lies, he means he is the author of these lies, he's the originator of these lies. And he talks, Jesus talks about Satan in that sort of way. And he also talks about Jabel as the father of such as dwell in tents. Or Jubal is the father of the organ. All these kind of people, the father of means the originator of. And could we not say that Jesus is the author and the originator of eternity? He's the one that brings eternity invading into time. He is the, the wonderful Lord who is eternal. The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. You were not made just for this time alone. You were made for eternity. Hallelujah. That death is not the end. 
And what we find is that he is the one who speaks the words of eternal life. Do you remember the disciples were, some were going away from him, not his twelve, but others were going away from him. And, and Jesus said to the twelve, were you going to also go away? And he says, how can we? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. You're the only one that has the answer. I just find this title so helpful when we understand he is the author of eternal life. Eileen and I went to Australia in the year 2000. We went to uh, a big Baptist convention. There were 8,000 or 9,000 people there at this convention in, in Melbourne. And then we, we went over to Sydney. But at this convention there was a story told to us. A story about a man called Arthur Stacy. We had never heard of the guy before. And this Arthur Stacy was a bit of a, a wild character. He'd actually been in jail two or three times. But after he came out of jail on this one occasion in 1930, he was wonderfully converted by an evangelist called John Wrigley. Wonderfully saved. And what happened was, this man who, who was illiterate could, couldn't even hardly write his name. He used to get up through the night and write eternity on the pavements all over Sydney, all over the place. And people did not know who was doing this. But the name that he wrote, this word eternity, over all the place in Sydney, it was so beautifully done that nobody wanted to rub it out. They kept it. Eventually they found out that the guy that was doing this was a man called Arthur Stacy. He was practically illiterate. He had caught on to this word eternity and he was right all over the place. You know what happened folks? The year 2000, the year we went to Australia, do you remember that Sydney was the very first to have the millennium celebration because of the time difference? The fireworks lit up the, uh, the Sydney Harbour Bridge. You know what they lit up? The word eternity. In remembrance of Arthur Stacy, The man who was wonderfully saved <coughs> by this evangelist. And Jesus though, and the word of God says, He has put eternity into our hearts. When Jesus came into this world, eternity invaded time. He came with the words of eternal life. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And his eternal truth goes marching on. Hallelujah. It goes marching on. So the name everlasting Father answers a need in all of us. For it speaks of the way that, that Jesus rules. He rules as a father rules his children. There's that close-knit family tie when you get to know the everlasting Father. And finally we come to the fourth title that answers. The next slide says there's a need for wars to come to an end. I, I just can't imagine what some of these bereaved wives and mothers and fathers are feeling this Christmas. When they've lost their sons over in Afghanistan. It's hard to imagine. Some of them are actually really broken in spirit. Because the sons and the husbands are actually away for Christmas. Never mind being killed. But can you imagine how they must feel? And the desire that these wars would come to an end. How do they feel? But alongside this fighting in Afghanistan. There's fighting in the streets. 
peoples whose minds are just torn by drugs and drink are blown by these things. But you know what it says here, the next slide says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, He is the Prince of Peace. I was writing this word Prince down. You know what I did? I dropped, I, I forgot to put the N in. Know what that says? The price of peace. Didn't realise what I was doing. I said, oh dear, I've missed out an N here. I looked at it and said, the price of peace. You see, it's not peace at any price. It was peace at a tremendous cost. And that was the cost of Jesus dying on the cross for you and for me. And this peace needs to operate in two areas. One of them is our own individual lives. Jesus wants that peace to operate in your life and mine. It's the natural outcome of those who know Jesus Christ as Lord. This peace is the, the reconciliation between God and man. We've heard of married couples needing reconciled to each other. But the same is true about God and man. The wrath of God has been upon us, but Christ has bought peace by the blood of his cross. God's anger has been upon us, but that anger has been averted because of what Jesus has done for us upon that cross. It's God's goodwill to men, it's God's grace that saves us, inviting us to be forgiven and cleansed by the peace and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second area that peace needs to operate is a peace of God in the nations. But Jesus tells us there's going to be wars and rumours of wars, but don't you, be, don't you be troubled. But there's going to be peace in the nations at one time. And, and this peace will not come without war. It will not come without cost. We have a king who will reign in righteousness. And Revelation 19, 15 and 16 puts it this way. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which is to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written King of kings, Lord of lords. Feel like singing the hallelujah chorus. <laughs> Handel's Messiah. King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, these end times will come. And as we said last week, nations will bow before the lordship of Christ. Willingly or unwillingly. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. These are names in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 that answer a need. They answer a need. There are problems seeking a solution. In the home, in the family, in the workplace, he's a wonderful counsellor. Have you booked some time with Jesus? Have you booked some time with him? There are people needing someone to follow. Not Tiger Woods or anybody else like that. He's a mighty God. And he'll never let you down. The government is on his shoulders. Will you say, yes, I will have this man to reign over me. I trust his integrity and his holy character. And there are areas that we need that do not shift or change. And for you, he's the everlasting father. The Father of things eternal. Will you say, thank you, Lord. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Father-like in the way that he deals with us. And there are wars that need to come to an end. In our individual lives. There's sin in their lives. 
the flesh is at war with the spirit and there's wars that need to be come to an end in your individual life and he is the prince of peace and there's wars in the nations that will come to an end under his lordship when that day comes not only the prince of peace but the price of peace was the cross of Christ somebody's put it this way to in his purpose he's a wonderful counsellor in battle he's a mighty God in nature he's an everlasting father in the promise of security he's the prince of peace for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders he will be called wonderful counsellor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this and all God's people said Amen. Amen let's pray we thank you Lord for your precious word to us today on this Christmas Sunday that there are names given to you Lord that answer a need and you know the needs that we have in this place today but the greatest need is to know the babe of Bethlehem as the saviour of the world Lord Jesus help us not to be stuck with the babe but to see the reason why he came that you might die on the cross each one of us Lord will you have your way in each one of our lives today and over this Christmas period and we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for you are worthy of it in Jesus name Amen